Financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year. And then the inflation data came out, higher than expected. Friends, this isn't going away. It can't. The U.S. is $34 trillion in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher. So you can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Gold is your hedge against inflation, and Birch Gold makes it easy to own. They'll help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold, and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. Text STRANGE to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. Then talk to a precious metal specialist on how to protect your savings from persistent inflation with gold. Text STRANGE to 989898 now. The highly anticipated second season of the hit podcast Proof is finally here. Proof is an investigative true crime podcast co-hosted by Susan Simpson of Undisclosed and Jacinda Davis of Evil Lives Here. Proof made headlines for its first season in 2022 after proving the innocence of two Georgia men serving life sentences for murdering their friend Brian Bowling when they were just 17 years old. 25 years later, on December 8, 2022, both men were finally freed based on evidence unearthed by Proof. In the second season of Proof, Murder at the Warehouse, Susan and Jacinda are on the case again, this time traveling the streets of Manteca, California, to uncover who really murdered 18-year-old Rene Ramos. On June the 5th, 2000, Ramos's body was found buried under a pile of debris inside the shell of a new Home Depot building. Despite tips hinting at alternate suspects, tips that were ignored until now, Renee's boyfriend, 18-year-old skateboarder Jake Silva, and Ty Lopez, the 33-year-old uncle of one of Jake's close friends, were arrested and convicted of her murder. Fans of true crime and investigative series won't want to miss this riveting new season. Follow the case as Susan and Jacinda uncover long-overlooked evidence about what really happened to Renee by listening to Proof, Murder at the Warehouse, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Samantha Cole, host of the new season of Understood, The Pornhub Empire. Over the course of four episodes, I'll tell you how a horny YouTube knockoff in Canada came to dominate the porn world, only to shatter their cheeky reputation in a massive scandal. The Pornhub Empire is a new season of Understood from the CBC. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, a cult survivor recalls the horrific abuse she suffered as a child while being held virtual prisoner in a Christian survivalist camp in Alaska. We were even put through drills. We were lined up, you know, I've had a rifle dry cocked on me. I was shooting guns by the time I was 11, 12 years old, being trained for survival, being trained to go into the mountains. And they would just scream, you know, do you believe in Jesus? Because the whole concept was, the communists would come, they're going to kill you because you believe in God, and you now need to be prepared to die for that. This podcast is brought to you by Paranormal Contractors. You'd be shocked to know how many people are experiencing some kind of paranormal activity in their home or business, perhaps even some kind of spiritual oppression. It's not something that's discussed in public for fear of ridicule, but it is happening. Maybe it's happening to you or someone you care about. 
Make no mistake, this is a serious matter, and my good friends at Paranormal Contractors treat it with the seriousness it deserves. Paranormal Contractors is a division of crime and trauma scene cleaners. If you need them, they'll come to your home with the latest and the best technology to investigate, authenticate, and remediate your ghost or demon problem. Why not put your mind at rest and take that first step? Call them right now at 1-866-724-0800. 1-866-724-0800. Or email them at paranormalcontractors at gmail.com and tell them Richard sent you. Check out their YouTube channel, Paranormal Contractors, for things that go bump in the night. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard Serrett. Welcome to your Wednesday. Veni Kosas, the author of Cult Child, is standing by with an acutely distressing story of her time spent in a charismatic Christian cult. It's ultimately a story of courage and hope, and we'll get to that conversation in just moments. And just a reminder, I'll be hosting Coast to Coast AM this coming Friday and Saturday, March 29th and 30th, and I hope you'll be able to join me 10 p.m., to 2 a.m. Pacific, 1 a.m. to 5 a.m. Eastern. To find a radio station near you, just go to coasttocoastam.com and check out their affiliates page. This coming Friday's edition of Conspiracy Unlimited, another harrowing tale, this time a conversation about how the U.S. federal government tricked its investors, banks tricked the government, brokers tricked banks, and borrowers tricked the brokers. My guest looks back at the Great Recession of 2008 to discuss the widespread, willful, multifaceted sleight of hand that happened during the mortgage crisis where only a handful of people went to prison for mortgage fraud. And my guest, Susan Alt, was one of them. In the early 1970s, Veni Kosa's mother was recruited into a religious cult, Sam Fife's Move of God. Within the year, Venny and her older siblings, along with all of their family's belongings, were packed in a U-Haul headed from California to Massachusetts. Eventually, they would be taken far into the Alaska tundra to live at a compound monitored by armed men and surrounded by miles of woods. Under the guise of Sam Fife's violent teachings, the children became victims of physical, mental, and sexual abuse. Venny's life consisted of fighting to maintain just a glimmer of her own humanity, dreaming that her father would find her and save them. This is her story. Venny is an author, poet, artist, and survivor of Sam Fife's Move of God cult. She describes her creativity as the therapy by which she has survived the memories of abuse she suffered during much of her childhood. She is the author of the Amazon bestseller, Cult Child. Veni Koshis, welcome to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you? I'm doing really well. Thank you so much for having me. What is your definition of a cult? 
I lean toward the dictionary, which is simply meaning to worship. So the word was originally coined by the Catholics in the 1600s, and that's what it meant, was anyone who worshipped or was a part of an organization which worshipped. But, for, but 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 it must go further than that. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I, I, I as a Christian, I worship, but I don't consider mm-hmm. myself to belong to a cult. So let's drill a little deeper. Okay. What, are the, what are the other elements of a cult? Um, definitely control. Um, they often want your money in some kind of way. Uh, in my particular instance, my mother was lured through Bible studies, um, so so luring and grooming. Um, it, it is a controversial subject as far as the meaning. I have a great friend who's a practicing Catholic who will say, "I worship." If I use the word def, you know, the definition correctly, I'm in a cult. I guess maybe the question could be, are there good cults and bad cults? Ah, yes. So, right, um, I was in a real bad cult. Jonestown, terrible cult. Uh, The Walk with John Robert Stevens, terrible cult. Uh, Marie White, Tony Alamo, Scientology, Unification Church. These are bad cults. These are people who do bad things to children and, and, and... convince parents somehow through intense mind control to participate or and allow that now to you, happen. So You grew up in Alaska, correct? I grew up on two compounds. The first compound my family was sent to was in Massachusetts. And the cult I come from, Sam Fife's Move of God, uh, he definitely believed in demonology, so uh, he was very deeply into demonology. In fact, he coupled with a pastor who went undercover into Tulane's psychiatric ward uh, as an intern. But the ultimate goal that they had was to hopefully present exorcism as a mental health um, treatment. Um, And so he steered this woman, Jane Miller, toward Sam for deliverance. Um, And so they definitely believed in that. And that was applied to children. Hmm. So um, he believed and preached and has printed sermons that children are born with a beast nature. And that needed to be beat from them, stripped from them. Um, that that a child could not know love and goodness without pain and suffering. Uh, so it was that doctrine and that theory that was put on us. Now, this is really important, I think, for people to understand about bad cults, is you're not always going to see everything as very layered. So they worked on my mother, just to give you a time frame. Um, it was the 70s, the the post, you know, Cold War, post-Vietnam, um, everything was really tumultuous uh, in our country during that time. And I was three in 1973. And so the recruiter who attached to my mother worked on her for probably about three years, four years, um, really getting her to come to Bible study and then church. Uh, you will see little churches and strip malls, things like that can be alarming signs. And that's what they did to her with the guise that the world is ending. Uh, my father was a part of the Grumman crew who designed the F-14 Tomcat. They used that as a tool to convince her that indeed we are going to war with Russia. Um, after all, your husband is building a war plane. Um, so they use all of these things about your life 
against you. Right. Um, right. And so no one ever said to her, we're going to send you to this deliverance farm because you're overweight and you have a demon of gluttony that needs to be cast from you. And so we're going to send you to where Massachusetts and we're going to separate you from your children who will be beaten and sexually molested and child labored from morning until night. My mother would not have gone. So they had to tell her a lie. And then once you're there, now you're there. You're trapped. You're in a prison. What was the lie they told her? I mean, everything up to up to this point I, I obviously is li- a lie. But what, how did they yeah. lure her there on the lie? Um, they lured her slowly over the years under the guise of it being a better environment for her children. Um, the woman that attached herself to my mother convinced my mother my father was cheating, for instance. So a lot of thoughts were planted into her right. head to help her self-destruct her marriage and take away what little protection that she had. My father was gone alive. So anytime somebody works in special projects, there was testing, he was traveling, uh, he would be locked down at Miramar. So that made my mother very vulnerable to this woman. Uh, My mother had three children. She was always around uh, to support my mother and help her. Um, but meanwhile, just in these very covert ways, just slipping little innuendos in her mind. And those are solidified over time as my mother's friends drifted away from her because her new community now was all of these people. Bible study, church here out of Hemet, California. We lived in San Diego at the time. Um, And that's how it slowly happened. So she went believing, you know what, I'm going to live a good life. My children are going to be protected from imminent danger. Um, I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to get rid of whatever it is that's ailing my body, as they say. So it's presented to you in a positive way. And when you get there, it's horror. Right. And that's where the lie lives. Okay. I want to circle back and and pick up on a lot of those important points, but I just want to give listeners a little bit of context here. First of all, we need to talk about Sam Fife and who this character was. Mm. Give us a little uh, backstory on uh, Mr. Fife. Not a lot is known about his life. Um, He started his ministry in the 60s, as what I can see. So not a lot is out there about his parents, his childhood, things like that. Um, He was just a Southern Baptist minister who started this little church out of Florida. And by 1979, a newspaper in uh, the California area was reporting he had close to 40,000 followers. So he just, that was a time, I think, in general, a very evangelical um, and communal living. So that's who he was. But when you look deeper, you see these guys also were con men. Well, absolutely. I mean, nothing, <laughs> no, I mean, there's so. nothing Christian about any of their absolutely. doctrine. Absolutely. Um, yes. And, and by the way, we're, I mean, well, I'll, I'll leave that for later. I want to ask you about your 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 feelings and your beliefs okay. uh, in terms of of Christianity after going through sure. this hell. But mm-hmm. back to Sam, how does this seemingly simple Baptist minister recruit forty thousand people? Uh, I mean, did he have who was behind him? Exactly, that's a very good question. We have the same question. We meaning. 
myself and other survivors. Uh, it is very questionable that he grew so quickly. Uh, he did have a lot of military um like, for instance, in Massachusetts, I we've done some research, and I believe that that compound, some say it was a farm. However, it was definitely built more like a base in that where we lived in the building. The upstairs was all of these rooms with military bunk beds. The downstairs was a mess hall with a clear pre-built cafeteria, right? Um, so... That wouldn't be how a farm or a barn would be built. Um, there was a covered walkway that went to this white house where um, could have definitely been like an officer's quarter. I have tracked deeds and things like that um, back, and they do kind of drop off, which could indicate maybe the deeds are sitting with the the Corps of Engineers. I don't know. I, I'd have to do a FOIA request. The to Corps get of Engineers. In Interesting. So what would they buy? Right. Decommissioned military bases? I think so. Yeah, I think I think that there were a lot of secret bases in the United States. Um, rightfully so. I mean, we definitely can understand that the Cold War was a big threat for us. I mean, we really did believe and I think our government believed it was a possibility we were going to go to war. And so even when they drifted us to Alaska in 77, um, which I believe had another intent when you link that to the Alaska pipeline dividends beginning to be paid out in 82. Um, they built mass compounds up there, six, seven of them with hundreds of people on them. In other words, squatting on land, not squatting. I mean, they bought the land, but hoping to cash in when the pipeline came through, they would, they would get, they would get mm -hmm. the big dividend from the oil companies. Yes, they started moving all of the people that they had recruited into the lower 48. So they had compounds in Georgia, Ohio, California, Oregon, Florida, uh, New Hampshire, Massachusetts. They had three in Canada. Uh, they started moving as many. Oh, Texas, Lubbock, Texas was one we would go to conventions um, because we needed to establish a residency in order to cash in on those. And so they've been cashing in on those for decades now. And I, um, they just so I understand, because, I mean, if if the end game is for them, them, who's ever controlling the the, uh, the move of God cult, the people mm -hmm. at the top of the uh, this pyramid scheme, uh, why do they need victims, recruits like yourself? I mean, why don't they just buy the land and, and sit on it and wait for the pipelines to arrive and then cash out that way. Why do they need to, to create this cult? Well, I mean, there's another good question, you know, that I have. I really study mind control a lot. And definitely you could look at it from a social engineering experiment in using religion to see, uh, you know, how easily could religion, I mean, we already knew media was used um, in a great way for propaganda and mind control. So could we use religion in that way? There's one possibility, okay? Um, I don't like to speak in absolutes on things I don't have factual information about. Uh, there were some specific instances with myself and my sister and some other kids who were highly sensitive and had empathic kind of abilities that we um, were put through some pretty horrific torture, even some memories of some odd kind of testing. Um, so it could be a testing program inside of a coal. It could be a lot of those things, but 
you have to understand where they were able to stake land. At that time, anybody could go to Alaska. There was basically free land. You staked it and registered it with the registrar's office and said, this lot is now my land. So when I looked at the first plat map, I saw all of these names and thought, who are these people? Well, come to find out they were people the cult had sent to Alaska to stake the land. And then a good guy to Google is Doug McLean. He has not ended his criminality and him and his father uh, were very astronomic in brokering a lot of the land that these cult compounds sit on. And uh, he was a part of the Argyle scam in 2015, which has CIA connections. And they milked millions out of people. And he put his son in the financier position. And his son went to the federal penitentiary. So, yeah, these, these people have a long history of criminality. And it begins with the founding of this cult. Hi there. I want to tell you about a podcast I know you're going to love. It's called The Dead Files from Travel Channel. On The Dead Files, Amy Allen and Steve DeShavi investigate the paranormal activity haunting real people and homes across the United States. Amy and Steve come from totally different perspectives when they investigate. Amy's a medium. She sees and speaks to dead people and uses this skill to find out why someone might be haunting a place. Steve is a retired homicide detective. He tackles the case from the other end of the spectrum and uses public records and witness accounts to piece together the history of the haunted location. On every episode, Steve and Amy investigate a different, real haunting to help the family struggling with its effects. On one episode in Falconer, New York, a family keeps waking up with scratches and bruises. They also see a shadow figure lurking around their home. They call Amy and Steve to investigate. Amy uses her strength as a medium to understand who the presence is coming from and why it's so angry. Separately, Steve finds out the history of the house from the townspeople and in public records. He finds that several people who lived in this house died, which matches Amy's findings. At the end of the episode, Steve and Amy share their findings and make a recommendation on whether it's safe to stay in the house or time to get out. There are so many crazy stories on the dead files, and what's interesting about Amy and Steve is that they investigate the hauntings from two totally different perspectives. You listen to my podcast because you love tales of the paranormal. But if you want more, listen to The Dead Files wherever you get your podcasts. So it, like all criminal organizations, it sounds like it's it's multifaceted. So on the one Absolutely. hand, there's a, um, a get-rich scheme here involving mm-hmm. real estate for the people at the top. Uh, and then... You know, how did they buy that land? Where were they buying the land? Is there a military connection? So at the same time, as you say, this could be a some sort of a mind control program within a cult. And as you point out um, on your website and, and I guess in your in your book, a cult child, the 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 um, the formation of a lot of these cults, the the timing is very interesting in that it mm-hmm. comes as the MK Ultra program was winding down. So it, there's yes. like a, a transitioning happening here. Absolutely. I mean, you totally get it for you to even say that. That is exactly what I see as well. Uh, that that was the time that that yeah, it was transitioning, and I think it needed to f- for them. Uh, with technology and all of the things they needed to, and then moving into the eighties. What happens? The whole tele-evangelist um, wave comes in using media. So there's another um, layer added on to it. 
Um, but it's definitely, you know, a big part of social engineering. And then my other issue is that I, I'm definitely support freedom of religion 100%. But I do not support freedom of religion ever overriding crimes against children. Of course and not, no. the state of Alaska had many opportunities to recognize and check on us kids. And they failed us. They failed us so grossly. Well, you said 40 and, years ago, I think you pointed out, 40 mm-hmm, years ago in Time Magazine, mm-hmm. they mentioned this cult. I don't yeah. know, was it a cover story? Um, no, actually, a, a girl named Sherry Brown, she um, spoke with, um, well, the LA Times, um, what happened was is a man named Bill Greer, who is now um, the leader at Whitestone, which is one of the Alaskan compounds they own, Heritage Construction, and have a 300,000 gallon gas reserve, which is funded by the state of Alaska, as I understand. Um, He got arrested with another individual for exercising high school children, you know, who had like behavioral problems. So um, trying to cast the demon out of them. And that got reported on in the California newspaper. And it was in that story that 40,000 followers were cited. The move was in the news a few times. It was in the LA Times uh, in January of 1979 when Sherry Smith reported that she had been tied to a bed and beaten, that she was put in ice baths for over four hours. Um, She reported all of these abuses. Now, she was a 19-year-old woman. They um, used that linguistics. I'm really into NLP and I'm keen on it. They, they painted her as a lonely young woman, uh, definitely didn't need to use that adjective to describe her. Uh, it didn't seem like it got reported to the FBI. And at the end of the story, it said that they contacted Sam Fife and Buddy Cobb, who was his right hand man and ultimate predecessor, um, and got no comment. And that was the end of the story. Let's talk about, sorry, continue, continue. I just wanted to say uh, one last thing that I hope people can take that is a 19-year-old adult uh, or teenager, if you want to think of 19 as still being a teenager, but those same things with that same longevity happening to children like me who were three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 years old. What are your earliest memories uh, in this cult? Well, my first memory that I write about in my book is all three of us children were violently sick with like a scarlet type fever um, on the on the traveling there. From my mother had this U-Haul packed. With, they gave us a massive list of things that we had to buy to bring to the cult. It's huge. I have a copy of it. When I looked at it again as an adult, I was just like, holy crap. Like, how can anyone on this side, you're being told to give anything away or sell anything that connects you to the secular world, but you've got to buy all of this stuff to become a survivor list. So my first memory is driving to the cult and how sick we all were. And I think that us kids all kind of knew, like things had gone real bad for us already. Uh, My next memory is pulling in and a woman coming out and talking with my mother and feeling the back of the the U-Haul door open. And then 
next memories after that is just all abuse. I don't recall being taken from my mother or, or, or any, or did I cry? Did they go, come on, let's go. You know, I don't remember any of that. I just remember work before dawn as a little girl up picking like grubs off the bottom of potato leaves, breakfast, work, lunch, work, dinner, prayer, church, bed, woke up in the middle of the night. It was just day in and day out. They break you down and down and down. And in that is abuse. And one of the leaders, uh, one of the males was a pedophile. And one of the females that was over my room was a pedophile. So we suffered that as well. And that was four years of all of that day in and day out. So you just dissociate. Right. And you're um, Classic MK Ultra, right? Dis- to fracture yeah, the psyche. Absolutely. 100%. Compartmentalize the mind. Mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. Um, so I do have memories of, of, you know, when I found, when you find articles like this, you're horrified, obviously, but you're also kind of relieved because then it lets you know your memory. You're not crazy. Like, yeah, you know, I do remember the ice baths and I do remember being put into hypothermia and the sleeplessness and not being allowed to talk to my siblings or my mother watching them, you know, feed her tiny rations of food and how she lost weight and was became frail and weak. And just, um, it was very horrific, yes, very much. And, and, and the question is, is like, these guys knew these methods and how to use them systematically. And, and where did they learn, where did they learn neuro-linguistic mm-hmm. programming? It, 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 it's such a, a, a mind bender. Um, you know, you are living in fear as a child because of the abuse. So that gets you in control very quickly. It breaks you down very quickly. And sexual abuse only has to happen once to a child to shatter them. I mean, it immediately shatters you. But they didn't always use fear, you know. There was um, a love bomb part of it too, you know, uh, like a time that we... We're going to see our father, and we're told by the elders, you know, this is a great opportunity for you to really, you know, fight for God and and protect your mother. Your mother is a special, she was a visionary for the cult. She, she, she's a special woman. So they, so they boost your ego in moments that they need you to act right. And the last thing they want to do right is piss you off. Um, so there's that element to it as well. So your mind is just constantly back and forth how on o- this. How often did you see your mother uh, during this time? I mean, were you separated from her all the time or were there, were there family moments? I remember the last memory I have at where uh, something happened. I believe that a girl jumped out of the window and broke, broke an arm and a leg or, or made it into town. Something happened. I recall um, what looked like, like maybe government type cars, if you can remember those box style type cars back in like 77, 76 type Mm -hmm. of cars. And they brought all the families together. And that was the first time I recall being near my mother. So I was like seven by then. And then my next memory after that is being in Alaska. And in Alaska, we were back with our mother. Um, But from then, my mother always felt foreign an element, there was no connection there because they broke that right. in those first, you know, between three and seven years old. What, what did they do to any parent for them to stand idly by while their children, while you are being mm-hmm. horrifically abused in all manner of 
all manners. It, 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 it's something that, and I get emotional about this because I'm a mom. I, I can't wrap my head around it. I have tried to, I, the only thing I can say is this is how deep mind control goes, right? Is that a mother can be in an upstairs of what they call the tabernacle fashioned after the Bible, the tabernacle in the Bible. He, my sister heard me crying and screaming out of a bathroom one day and ran down the hallway. I, she could recognize my cry. Why didn't my mother? Like, I don't know. You know, starving someone, first of all, and keeping them in sleep deprivation completely begins to hallucinate your mind. I think my mom shut down and just went blank, like nowhere. Um, I don't know why. It's, it's a deep question. How do you convince hundreds of parents to not only allow their children to be physically brutalized, but participate in it as if it's God's will? Right, right. Uh, and your father, uh, you mentioned he worked on the F-14, mm-hmm. the, tom, the Tomcat, right? Uh, yes, was he, to what extent was he aware of what was going on and to what extent did he try and, and, and rescue you? He fought for a very long time for us. I didn't, you know, a lot of this I would find out later because my mother was just um, a ranter and very much painted my father out that he did not want us. Um, so on one side, your father has abandoned you. And on the other side, he's a POS for not seeing you. So our minds were just always kept in this horrible place about our father. But um, the last time I saw my dad, um, at that time I was seven. And I remember us flying down to California from Alaska. We'd already been moved to Alaska. And my mother just ranting about, you know, uh, her father was, you know, my father was always doing stuff to, you know, mess with her, things like this. Okay, I would later find out from my dad. That that whole four years that she took us to where he was fighting with every penny he had in court. And the cult funded my mother's whole divorce, including flying my uncle, who had not seen my mother in years, to testify as a character witness for her. And they literally bankrupted my father. And the whole time that the case was tied up in the courts in California... There was no visitation granted. So again, I think we need to really think about the times and what kind of rights fathers did not have. I mean, had my father gained custody of us kids back then, we would have been safe. And did the, did the, 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 the question or the issue of uh, uh, parental alienation or uh, abuse not come up in the, in the uh, divorce hearing? There was no, um, that didn't exist, if you think about it, right? We obviously didn't know we were being abused. And by the time we were in Alaska, our minds were so dissected as a child. And this is something that's important that people understand. When you don't have a language as a kid, you can't say, I'm being abused. You'll, a child will say something like, um, mom hit me in my head and I didn't like it. It hurt. And a lot of times that gets minimized, like, oh, she probably just, you know, but they're really trying to tell you. They just don't know how to say it. That last visit that we went, my mother had presented it to us that it was my father exercising visitation 
which wasn't true. That was actually the final decision the judge was going to make. And we were required to be in California in case he found for my father, my father would have then taken immediate custody of us. But the judge did not. He found for my mother. So we were allowed to visit with my father for about a week. And then we went back to Alaska with my mother. And then my father sent, um, after a little while of not being able to contact us, because there was only one phone on the compound in Alaska, in the tabernacle, which was run by a generator. The rest of us had no electricity or running water. Um, so contacting us was not easy for him. And then he sent the Alaska state worker. So it was just a constant battle for him. And by the time we were in Alaska, they had taken all the money he had. Hi, friends. If you're a fan of this podcast or my weekly radio program, The Conspiracy Show, or my YouTube channel, Strange Planet, I hope you'll consider becoming an official donor. A donation of $50 a month places you in the star chamber. $20 a month is the whistleblower tier. And a donation of just $10 per month makes you a truth seeker. Star Chamber and Whistleblower members can participate in an exclusive monthly online chat or video conference with me. And all donors are entered into a monthly draw for Strange Planet merchandise. Any monthly amount is welcome and greatly appreciated. Since YouTube demonetized my channel, I need your support more than ever. To become an official donor, go to patreon.com forward slash strange planet. If there's one thing money can't buy, it's sanity. <laughs> Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Venny Kosas, childhood cult survivor, is here. Was it run like a, a prison camp? I mean, you couldn't come and go as you pleased, I'm, I'm guessing. No, no, uh, we could not come and go as we pleased. In Alaska, it was very isolated. Uh, the threat of Russia in Alaska was major. Uh, we were even put through drills, um, like uh, where we were lined up. You know, I've had a rifle dry cocked on me. I was shooting guns by the time I was 11, 12 years old, um, being trained for survival, being trained to go into the mountains. Um, and they would just scream, you know, do you believe in Jesus? Because the whole concept was the communists would come. They're going to kill you because you believe in God. And you now need to be prepared to die for that. And so as a child, my mind would say, well, I'll just tell the Russians I don't believe in God and I'll live like easy peasy. This is how your mind is working. Mm -hmm. And then the guilt sets in. But you'll live. But then you'll spend an eternity in hell. Which is worse, death and going to heaven or life for a little while on earth? And then the rest of eternity in hell, because you denounced God to live. Right. I mean, all of these things in the right context and in, in an age-appropriate environment and so forth are in and of themselves not wrong. I mean, the idea of, you know, denying Christ or, or death as a Christian, you know, but at a, at a, at, not at 11 years old, not, yeah. not in those circumstances, Obviously, and the, uh, the you know the, the twisting of of uh, the gospel and so forth it just 
for these purposes, just yeah. uh, horrendous. So wh- how did you finally uh, escape? How did you get out? My sister was 17 and my mom had a best friend and I just recall waking up um, one morning to my mother yelling and my sister worked. um, Okay, so just so you know, um, the compound was always monitored with men with guns or even the teenage boys would have like rifles slung over. Now, if you ask them why today, they would say, well, you know, there's bears and, and, and mountain lions, which is true. Very valid reasoning. However, when you have 300 acres of land um, and you're on one end as a night watchman or a day watchman, you know, it, it also was very visually um, oppressive to, you know, I have a picture of where there's about four teenagers with guns. So um, this man um, who was the husband of my mother's best friend, he was a night watchman. And um, I just remember my mom yelling at my sister, how could you do this? How could you do this to our family? How could you do this to them? And I had no idea what was going on. We got, excuse me, uh, brought into a church service. Um, the children 13 and under were sent out. Nobody would speak to me. Still, I'm in the unknown. Uh, long story short, um, he, who was in his 40s, had been sleeping with my sister for almost a year promising her that when she um, was 18, he would take her away from there. He was going to leave his family. He loved her, um, things like that. And a lot more stuff came out later. I mean, even abusive things where you look in hindsight, uh, my sister wearing long sleeves in the summertime, which and telling you, oh, I'm cold, but then telling me later, right, post-cold, no, actually I was hiding bruises. Mm. Um, so she was made to stand up in front of the church and apologized for being a whore and um, a Jezebel and seducing a, a great man and and that she had, you know, she was scarred and um, that's, you know, so we, we were banished for that. Of course, she was, mind you, about to be 18. So they needed to ban us because at 18, she was legal to leave, to do, to say, to come back for her sister all of that. So they might as well just throw us off now because that's exactly what my sister would have done. And, and they weren't concerned that, that once you got out that you would go to the, the, the press, that you would go to the authorities? No, I mean, you know, they made the, his family leave as well. However, his apology was that he had been weak in the spirit. Um, he'd allowed, you know, himself to be seduced into an extramarital affair. And because of that, he wasn't worthy of, you know, st- however, we would find out later that they moved to Florida near one of the compounds and continued to do contracted work for the coal because he could do construction and owned a construction company. So really, they didn't really kick him off, right? They just relocated him um, like they did with a lot of pedophiles, shuffling them off. But you had you witnessed know, and you had experienced all of this abuse. Uh, I mean, I, I, is this cult like the Scientologists in the sense that they have so much money, they just lawyer up, they have so many connections that you can't get to them? They do a couple things. They stay very, very dissected so that if you sued them, you might have to sue 10 or 12 entities. So they don't keep their money centralized, Scientology or the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Catholic Church, um, things like that. So that's one way they protect themselves. But I think it's important. 
really more to understand like traumatic amnesia. And when you are in that level, plus also see they are teaching us the government's evil. Uh, we were faith healed, so doctors were evil. Uh, psychiatrists, definitely evil. They're going to dissect your brain. Take your mind. So don't go to psychiatrists. Like, think about that, right? They're dissecting your brain, but these people are going to do it. So they really, there was a great fear of that. And I didn't have knowledge of the press. We were so censored. Um, say National Geographics came in and maybe, you know, there was a story about an African tribe and there were women with bare breasts. Those pages would have been torn out. Ah, so okay. we were uh, censored and um, no television, no radio, nothing but Christian music, Maranatha, Amy Grant. Um, a, we also, and this is a very interesting part of Sam's philosophy to me, is um, we believed that, that uh, we were God's army that were going to ultimately protect the Jews. And there were a lot of Jewish rituals that we did. We sang Jehovah Jireh. We danced in the opposing circles. Mm -hmm. um, we celebrated in Ware, Massachusetts. This ended after Sam's death. We celebrated the Passover, um, where they actually did kill a goat and paint the blood around the, 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 door, the doorways. And I just remember one memory, knowing we were celebrating the Passover, and my brother was the oldest boy, and laying in bed, just like, I hope they remembered to paint the blood, like, I just hope, I hope, I hope they remembered, you know, that the death angel doesn't take my brother, and then seeing him the next day in the mess hall, and, you know, going, Phew, like, you really believe that stuff is true, when it's all you know. Right, right. Um, so what, what happened to your parents? Where are they now? Are they, are, are they still living, either of them? Um, my mother passed away in 2007. Um, she just always remained very narcissistic. I'm writing my sequel now to really talk about, I mean, going from this completely sequestered environment. They throw you into the world with nothing but the army duffel bags on our back. My mom was slick. She immediately got the Alaska dividends changed over to us. So it was almost like as soon as she left, I, a little bit of her mind started kicking in, like survival mode in a different way. Uh, but for my sister and I, we were just in this absolutely overstimulated world that we were trying to just navigate. We knew nothing about culture. We knew Nothing. So we lived that life. Um, and my father, he is alive and he lives in Ohio and is married. Um, and I do have a great relationship with my dad. So that's where they're at today. How did he react when all the truth came out about what you would, you and your sister and you had all endured? The first time I called my dad, because I was really mad at my father for a long time because my mother had mind controlled me to hate my dad. Um, but I finally got to a point where I was writing. I was like, I have to call my father. I can't write this book and not have his perspective to just know, you know, what really did happen in those beginning days. And we ended up talking for like five hours and it was just crying and talking and me hearing the truth about so many things. And my dad was broken. It's heartbreaking. It's just heartbreaking what was taken from him and, mm -hmm you know, to even try to talk to him about what was 
that would you want to hear that about your kids? No, he'd you know feel, that, he, he, I'm sure oh, he felt responsible, like he had abandoned yeah. you. Yes. I mean, it's just, you know, I just always tell him, you know, I love you. It's not, it, he fought, he, you know, just he should remember that he fought until he had nothing. It's just a very sad story. And, and your siblings? Very, um, my sister is married and lives in Texas. She's been married for 25 years. Um, her and her husband own a couple of businesses. And my brother lives here near me. Um, doing great. You know, that's the good part about it is the forward-moving family, our children, our grandchildren, our, our sibling bonds and things like that that remind us, you know, we still do have family. And it's it's pretty awesome, <laughs> you know? Right, right. And... How many of these, I mean, uh, this cult is still thriving, right? It's, mm -hmm. and they're using the same methods. I mean, child abuse, uh, pedophilia, it's all happening across the United States, in Canada, mm -hmm. as we mm -hmm. speak. They definitely changed their methods with the changing times. So those of us in the beginning who were sequestered from life, there was no internet, um, those who are now aged were younger, we definitely took some pretty hardcore stuff. However, I've talked with uh, survivors that have left as recent as like seven years ago who, yes, the same philosophy um, is being taught. Um, they're recruiting right now. Um they have body houses all over the United States. Explain they what those are. Explain what those a are. A body house is a house they set up in a town where they will see there's a possibility for recruitment. And they'll put maybe a couple people living in that house. And those people will run like a Bible study out of that home. And they'll go around the city or the town to certain places and just invite people and they'll They'll feed them. They'll, you know, you know, give them treats and, and build a community and then slowly but surely see who is prime and ripe to maybe move up there. On the Whitestone compound right now, they live multiple families to a home. That is the absolute breeding ground for pedophilia. When you are moving strangers into a house with other families and children, and you're just believing. Well, first of all, they believed, I don't know if they still believe this, but Sam Fife believed that pedophilia was a demon spirit that could be cast out. So there's that problem too of pedophiles going to them for healing, mm. but actually having ask, access to children. And now that this story is out, uh, where again? Where are the? Where is the FBI? Where are the investigative reporters? They should be all over this. I I, I mean, there is some reporters that I, I know that um, there's one show coming out. I believe with Discovery ID with some of the adults and some of the parents. And you know, people have differing perspectives. The daughter-in-law of the cult leader wrote a book, but she still believes in demon spirits and casting out, and she thinks that what she did in the cult was a good thing um, and kind of tries to minimize. But at the same time, when you read the book, she actually reveals a lot. Um, but that mindset is still there, that, that they're just covering up their deeds with the ideal that, well, you know, we meant good. We might not have made the right decisions, but, but, but we meant well. Now, I'm trying to, again, understand. So there is the, the, you know, the money aspect uh, mm -hmm. of this. But why go to the 
the, the lengths of fracturing someone's psyche, compartmentalizing, compartmentalizing your mind, this dissociative, dissociative disorder. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, MK Ultra, they were they were creating you know mules so that they could give them information. They would go someplace else, and then someone with a trigger word could access that you know that that mm-hmm. information. Or right. you can you can create you know assassins and mind controlled uh, assassins and so forth. But I mean, were they were they attempting to do that with anyone in these in these cults? What were they trying to do to you aside from destroy you? Well, definitely they made a crap ton of money off of us. So, I mean, I can remember, you know, everyone, all the adults, all the compound lining up to sign off on their, like, those Alaska dividends, you have to sign a form. And then the checks would come in and they would sign that. So I would say money, number one, intent. Um, You've got con men who are just extracting everywhere they can. They like single mothers because usually there was child support that came along with that. But they also used the fact that you were divorced against you. So those of us who were like uh, children of divorce, divorcees would be like worker bees. You know, we worked the most and things like that. Um, There's other memories like my sister and I have. We were brought to Fort Greeley in Alaska a lot. The cult has a connection with Fort Greeley. Um, There was a man named Prince Samuels who worked at Fort Greeley and was fired for uh, some misappropriation or something like that. So why is there that connection? I mean, these are the questions that we have. Why are they so intersected? And you look at where the coal and all their compounds are situated right now. You've got poker flats, harp. I'll tell you one thing. They say that harp wasn't built until the nineties. I say BS. My sister and I both have memories of driving in a white van there was a white van that they would put us in and transport us, but see our memories drop off. So we're still in processes of retrieving this stuff. And my sister said to me one time, because she was not like me, I'm researcher minded, you know, I'm digging, digging, digging. Um, she was like, oh yeah, I remember, remember those big windmills, like kind of like what they have in California. And I was like, well, wait a minute. No, like that would be harp, but how could that be? Because that would mean that Harp was actually being built in the 70s and early 80s. So, which then makes sense when you look at the trend that the government has of kind of like not releasing things for a good 20 years. Right. Um, but there is a lot of questions. You have Dot Lake and Sam Fife had a fleet of planes. Uh, Buddy Cobb was a seasoned pilot. Um, he flew his water plane in there. They used the Fort Greeley airport at times. So there's a lot of questionable connections. And I just want to add this as well. They tell their members how to vote, but they don't come out and say, you know, we want you to vote for this person. They do it this way. Last night in my prayers, you know, Brother Dave came across my heart and I just really feel like he needs our support right now and we need to hold him up in prayer. And they will continue that and solidify that throughout that person's campaign so that when you get your ballot, guess whose name is going to stand out to you? That's how they do it. So there's a when you have that many people, you're also controlling voting as well hmm. through them. Uh, I asked you earlier, or I was about to ask you and I thought I would wait till the end. <laughs> How do you now how feel about after all of that that you went through and, you know, the Bible being used in such an odious 
fashion, twisted the twisting the, of the message and so forth. How do you mm-hmm. feel about uh, the Bible? How do you feel about prayer? How do you feel about Christianity? There's parts of the Bible I really love. You know, I love the Song of Solomon. There's some parts and some stories I find quite beautiful. I look at it as a history book um, and how it was written. Me personally, on my personal spiritual path, I'm a self-empowered person. I don't like to identify as anything but just being human um, and love and compassion and trying to help people heal. Um, my way of praying is walking in nature and hugging the trees and being grateful that I am alive um, because I came very close to death as a child um, with some of the things that I endured. So I try not to judge people's path, but where I do get bothered is when children are involved. I did not raise my sons um, with any access in my home to politics or religion. I let them be kids. And that's important to me. Um, that's my passion is like, let kids be kids. There was this awesome church I went to in Fairbanks last year where I went to present at a conference to educate about this cult. But they did not have any regalia up, no crosses, no anything. You didn't know you were going to a church. It had a beautiful auditorium with a stage and musical instruments. And downstairs was this huge daycare facility with cameras that the parents could download an app and see their children at any time. And the point was, is you could still come and worship and have your faith. But if you didn't want to expose your kids to it, they could go downstairs and play. That to me is the right way. Let kids grow up free with free minds. And then if they choose that spiritual path, then cool. So that's where I sit today. Venny, how do we order a copy of Cult Child? You can go to my website. It's venikoshas.com, and that's V-E-N-N-I-E-K-O-C-S-I-S.com. And all of my books should come up on the first page for you. Veni, thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'll be back to tell you a little bit about what's coming up next on Conspiracy Unlimited. This segment, sponsored by The Horrible Movie Podcast, available at iTunes and thehorriblemoviepodcast.com. Remember, just because it's from Hollywood doesn't mean it isn't horrible. Next time on Conspiracy Unlimited, Mortgage Fraud and the Odyssey of a Great Recession Fall Girl. Every day there was a new headline with people being indicted for mortgage fraud. And they were all like the local realtors. And they were indicted for using that 100% loan program that, you know, saying that we all lied to the bank because we didn't put a down payment in. But the bank was the one that put up the down payment. So when I first heard about that we were even being investigated, I thought it was a joke. Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. 
Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting.